Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast episode number 131. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Oh yeah, my friends, it's that time again. Welcome back to another episode of Encouraging Others Through Christ. Cliff Ravenscraft here, and today, my friends, I think I am going to be sharing with you my all-time favorite podcast episode ever recorded. That's right, my friends. I know that that's that's quite a statement to make, but this interview that I'm about ready to play for you, I think, is probably a pivotal spot in what it is for me to be a podcaster, to be in podcasting and actually understanding and 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 knowing what my mission and purpose is uh for all the things that I'm doing, for all the for actually living the life for which I was created. And uh if you haven't heard so, heard this already, I know I've shared this on some other podcasts, but obviously there was quite a hiatus as I shared in episode 130 uh, between, you know, episodes. But I want to share with you something that I finally developed. It's my personal mission statement. And I'm going to read it for you right here. This is word for word, my mission statement, something that I always want to have available to me at any time so I can read it, remember it, and I can always allow my life to be directed by what I understand to be my mission in life. Are you ready for this? My mission is to dedicate my life to entertaining, educating, encouraging, and inspiring others, to share my passions and experiences in life in an authentic and transparent way that inspires others to make positive changes in their lives. I want to be known as a follower of Jesus who authentically attempts to live out my faith though I may fail miserably at times, in a way that engages popular culture without turning others off. I want to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that I have and to be ready to do so with gentleness and respect. And you know, if if people come to me from this point forward and they say, Cliff, I, I really want to know about this hope that you have, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to forward lots of people to come back and listen to episode 131 of Encouraging Others Through Christ. This interview with my friend Steve Brown of Key Life Ministries, Steve Brown, etc., author of multiple books, Scandalous Freedom, the Scandalous Freedom podcast, and my new favorite book from Steve Brown, Three Free Sins. Check it out, threefreesins.com. Folks, uh, you know, if you've been listening to me for quite some time, especially in episode 121, I'm sure that there is more than one mention of Steve Brown. I'm certain that over the last several episodes, I've mentioned the Scandalous Freedom podcast. Um, You guys, if you've been listening, you know just how much of an impact this man has had on my life uh, and his message. And I will say that this episode is... Uh, guys, it's a turning point. This, this is, I don't even know what's ahead. I don't know how it gets better. 
then where I feel like I am in my relationship with God at this moment, in this this moment in my life, I don't know how it gets better than this, but I just sense that we're just at the tip of the iceberg. And I'm very excited, very thrilled to bring to you this interview right now. All right, my friends, I cannot even begin to tell you how delighted I am to have Steve Brown on the show with me today. Steve Brown, thank you so much for coming on the EOTC podcast. Thank you, man. I can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to this. I've been hearing good things about you. I have a former student who thinks that you're the best thing to come along in broadcasting in a hundred years. And so uh, I've been kind of intimidated, but I've been looking forward to this time. You and I exchanged an email back and forth, and uh, you were so generous to read the entire book that I sent you. I was so worried about how I might come across because I will tell you, you and your radio broadcast and your tape ministry was something that I clung to when I first became a Christian. And I so enjoyed you until I followed all of the rules and started to attend the church where I first really understood about God's love for me and his desire for me to give my life to him. And I remember just being so in love with God that I wanted to soak up anything and everything I could ever learn about him. And you were there on the radio along with Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans, and all these other great people. This was before everybody had a box that I, I realized that I needed to put people in. And when I started <laughs> when I started studying for the ministry in the Nazarene church, it was then that I learned about Armenian, Wesleyan, and Calvinism. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh my goodness, Steve Brown is in a different box <laughs> than me. He's one of those. <laughs> so I have a question for you. What do you think about these boxes that we put people in? They drive me nuts. I, uh, for years, Cliff, uh, on the air, I was maybe the only reformed, quote, uh, Calvinist voice. Now, there are a number of others nowadays. but uh, And by the way, I love you, Nazarenes. I uh, served uh, for a number of years as a pastor at First Presbyterian Church uh, on the south shore of Boston, and uh, there was a college there, Eastern Nazarene College, and we used to have two or three hundred of those kids worshiping with us, and I got to know the faculty. I don't know if you know the name Timothy Smith. He's home with Jesus now, but he wrote Evangelicals and Social Reform. One of the great scholars became my friend, and I began to see some of the depth. I met Dennis Kinlaw in those days, who was the president of Asbury, and um, heard his lectures on sanctification, <laughs> and I told him, Dr. Kinlaw, if that's what you guys have been teaching, this old Calvinist agrees with you. But at any rate, what I was saying before I so rudely interrupted myself is that I uh, was the only reform voice in Christian broadcasting. And, uh, and uh, I had to learn to talk to brothers and sisters, often many of whom loved Jesus more than I did, in a way that we could have dialogue without killing each other. 
and uh in those and i've been where you've been i've put people in boxes i have uh i have read gerstner's book wrongly dividing the truth may he rest in peace but that book ought to be burned i read ryrie's book on dispensationalism i've read wesley and by the way i was ordained a methodist so i read wesley's diary sometimes for my devotions to this day and my mother thinks i'm a methodist missionary to presbyterians and calvinists and then all of a sudden the more i walked with jesus and the more i met people like you and i listened i realized what wesley said that everybody who belongs to jesus belongs to everybody who belongs to jesus and uh, so uh, so i've blown up the well jesus blew up the boxes uh I think we all bring our gifts to the body of Christ and we need to speak gently and kindly and lovingly from our positions, but we got a lot to learn from each other. We're like porcupines in the middle of a storm and cliff, you know, <laughs> the world hates us and maybe with good reason. And, uh, we don't have the luxury of fighting amongst ourselves. And so those boxes may be helpful in understanding, but they're not helpful in what Jesus prayed for us, that we would all be one that the world might believe. Absolutely. And of course, one of the things that we want to talk about today is your your latest book, Three Free Sins, which I have absolutely loved. And I'm going to share with you some of my favorite things about it here in just a moment. But one of the things you wrote in the introduction, you said that you had often ended your sermons by saying 50% of what I just told you is wrong. And I'm not sure what 50% is. Uh, so you're just going to have to get out your Bible and do some checking. And, <laughs> and you had said that you, some cliff try that sometime that drives people nuts. That's what you, you said. Know, they, <laughs> they just don't want you to say things like that. And so the more irritated they became, the more I said it. And I found out it was a pedagogical tool to remind Christians uh, what we ought to have known before. And that is the world is big. I have the cliff. I have this recurring dream that I have died and I'm not so far away. I'm cramming for finals. I'm an old I'm as old as dirt, but I died and I get to heaven and we're all there. And uh, God comes out and he says, I've got some good news and some bad news for me, for you. And somebody in the back shouts, tell us the bad news first. <laughs> Cliff, that would be a Calvinist. And, <laughs> and God says, the, the bad news is you were all wrong. And some of you were really, really wrong. But the good news is I've talked to my son about you and he says, you're okay. So welcome home. And uh, that's the attitude I think Christians need to have about each other. I, I'm so delighted to hear that. And that is certainly the place where I've come to at this point in my journey, uh, where God has set me, setting me free from the religious chains and the condemnation and, and the, yeah. uh, the, the moral fortitude that we ought to agree upon and, and everybody who disagrees with us is wrong. And, and I'm so glad to be beyond that. One of the other things that I loved about your book, uh, Three Free Sins, is you talked about the idea of teaching frogs to fly. Now, 
We won't go into full detail. You have to read the book to understand what we're talking about. But I just want to say I've spent the last 20 years of my life as a frog leaping out of a very tall building, (laughs) attempting to learn how to fly. And I'll tell you what, I almost killed myself doing it. I mean, literally, it, it about wore me out. And September of last year, I am so thankful for the gospel message that finally came through all of that brokenness when I finally realized that I'm not getting any better. Yeah, I, I've been there, done that, still do it on occasion. And uh, we're dying. You know, you know, with the message that you have and you write about, you broadcast about, and me too, we're, we're in the same army doing the same thing, fighting the same battles. You and I are running across people everywhere who've been jumping out that window and doing their best to fly. You know, maybe, Cliff, we should kind of fill people in. Uh, if they haven't read the book, first, go get it. I need the money. Actually, I don't get anything for these books. They It all goes to this ministry, Key Life. But uh, there's a story, and I don't even know where I got it, about this guy who has a frog, and his, he thinks that if he could teach him to fly, he'll make a lot of money. And he ends up killing the frog, and then he ends up at the end saying, I know what I did wrong. I, I've got to get a smarter frog. And so I use that as kind of a metaphor uh, with, with what we as Christians uh, uh, try to do all the time. You, Me too. I've been jumping out that window for so long, and I've been hurt so much that I finally want to say, as you do to everybody, are you crazy? Frogs can't fly. That's and but Jesus can, and uh, He's done it for us. Uh, we don't have to fly; we just have to run to Him, and uh, that once we get that, that is a tremendous relief. It is, and that's where this idea of three free sins comes up. I know it's the title of your book. I'll be honest with you; I've listened to your radio broadcast weekend after weekend after weekend on the on the podcast that you put out. And at the end of every interview, you always say, thanks for coming on the show. And because you did, you get three free sins. And <laughs> and I heard you say it, and I'm thinking, what? I think he just says that to upset people. Because even in my mind, even months ago, I'm thinking, yeah, I understand we have this thing. But, but he's just joking, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I read this book. And I'm like, he's not joking. And he's not, he's not saying we just have three. We have unlimited yeah. free yeah. sins. You got it, Cliff. That's, uh, you know, that sounds radical. By the way, that did start as a joke. We we did a lot of things. That drove people nuts. I mean, they just got angry. And one time, Eric, our producer, got on the air and said, get a life. Steve can't give free sins. It's a joke. Well, it developed from that into a pedagogical tool to teach something really important. We, we even have a three free sins, three apples on our website. And if you click it, you can send free sins to your family and your friends. And it's an evangelistic tool. It says, if you're not a believer, you got to pay for your own sins. Um, uh, everything else is free on this. Uh, and then we also, during that time, put up a playboy icon uh, that, uh, 
if you clicked, uh, you went to Campus Crusade for Christ. <laughs> and uh, Jesus made me take it down. I said, why? It's funny. He said, yeah, it's funny, but it lacks integrity. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not saying anything. And you know this, Cliff. I'm not saying anything that's radical. Um, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Uh, Christ Jesus came to save sinners. When Jesus said it's finished, it really was finished. I mean, he wasn't lying. He wasn't in some kind of coma from the pain. He was making a profound statement. You're covered. It's finished. And then to even make it and I'm working before I sat down with you for this interview. I was working on a text in Romans. I'm speaking to a senior celebration at the Billy Graham Training Center, and I'm talking about the gifts that old people give to young people. And uh, one of the gifts that we give is our confession of sin because young people have a tendency to worship in the wrong old places and the wrong people. And we got to disabuse them of that by confessing our sins. But as I've gone through Romans again, and I love that book, Paul is so clear about the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Not only did Jesus take our sin, cover it, and say it's finished, he gave us all of his righteousness so every time we stand before God, uh, we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ which means sin's not the issue anymore. And when we make it the issue, we become blasphemous. And, and, and we deny the very gospel that is at the essence of the Christian. I sound like I'm preaching. Sorry. No, you, you <laughs> preach away because I, I, I want to I share this because I've preached myself. I, I don't know if you know, but I was an associate pastor within the Nazarene Church for a while. And then I left that and joined a larger Church of Christ church here in Northern Kentucky and did a small group ministry there and filled in and preached sometimes. And so I've preached many of these scriptures that that are quite clear about the fact that that we're free, you know, do not let yourself be enslaved or yoked by the slavery again. And, and, and uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I've preached these things, but at the same time, I've never lived these out in my life because and and I love this. I, you you mentioned something in your book where you said I if I hear one more person say you yeah grace is great, but you got to be careful with that grace stuff because people are going to take advantage of it. Yeah, <laughs> and they, you know we uh, I'm with you. You know Cliff, there isn't anything that you've experienced that I haven't been there too, and still go there sometimes. I think we. Uh, we had Dan Allender, the psychologist out in the Northwest, who's a friend of mine. He spoke at our first pastor's conference, and he said, you know, guys, what we t- the gospel is so incredibly radical that congregations can't accept it. So you have to meet it out a little bit at a time until you get the kids through college, which I thought was really great. But I understand that. I've been I've been preaching it. I've been teaching it. It's clear in the scripture. But, you know, you and I, we've read James 3, uh, 1, that we're teachers and we're going to be held to account for what we teach. And that scares the spit out of us. 
So we keep drawing lines. We keep trying to to uh, say, yeah, well, you can't take advantage of this grace thing. You got to be careful. You guys are like crazy people. You'll go out and do all kinds of bad stuff. So don't, because God will break your legs. But he loves you, and you're free, <laughs> and God's grace is sufficient. But don't, you be careful out there. And and then what we do, the careful part gets bigger than the grace part. And pretty soon, we have reverted to Judaism. And I love Jews. I'm pro-Israel. I'm all those things. But Jesus went through a lot of trouble uh, to teach us something that is very important. You know, Cliff, one, uh, you said you were an associate pastor. One of my young men that I love, kind of like a son, his name is Kent Keller, and he's a pastor in Miami, but he was my associate at a church in Miami. And I was working on a book similar to this called When Being Good Isn't Good Enough. And uh, uh, Ken and I both get up early, and he came into my office that morning and said, what you doing? I said, I'm working on this stupid book, and I don't believe I can say these things. They're just, they're, they're giving people permission to sin. And Ken started laughing. He said, what you're saying is if you tell people what God said, you're afraid that God can't deal with the repercussions. And I went, duh, <laughs> that's true. And Cliff, he really can. People don't get better by being told if they don't, God's going to break their legs. They get better by being loved by him. Spurgeon said, when I thought God was a monster, I kicked against the goads. But when I found out how much he loved me, I couldn't understand why I rebelled against him so. Hmm. One other thing that, is in your book that radically spoke new information into my life and my relationship with God is this understanding of repentance from a completely different perspective. In my mind, I was taught repentance is recognizing, number one, what you're doing is wrong and sinful and understanding that it is not according to what God wants. And repentance means a 180 turn. Matter of fact, I think I've even heard preachers specifically say those words, that repentance is you know stopping and moving in a different direction, that that is what repentance is. But in your book, you say that repentance is actually from a Greek word, meaning to change one's mind, and it doesn't mean changing one's ways. Yeah, and that puts, it's the place where we put by the way, what you just said, you taught. I've taught all my life. Uh, and and even when I taught it, I thought, I can't do this. I mean, i got stuff I'm struggling with, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Um, I, um, I, uh, I repent, and then tomorrow I do the same thing. It's kind of like Paul in Romans 7. The good I want to do, I don't do, and the evil I don't want to do, that's what I do. What's with that? And that's hard. So if repentance means changing, I can't repent. And I think I maybe mentioned in the book, I had a book in my library titled Repentance by Mother Basilea. She founded a, a Protestant sisterhood in uh, Darmstadt, Germany. 
and uh, she wrote a book called Repentance. And I th- remember looking at that book and thinking, I can't, I'm not going to read that. I can't do, I can do the forgiveness thing. I can't do the repentance. And then somebody said, and I wish I knew who it was, but I think it came from God because it's one of those statements that turn the light on in your mind. And uh, somebody said, and I don't even, I have no idea where I got it. Repentance is not changing. It's God's methodology to change you. And Cliff, there's a big difference. And so I define repentance in the book as knowing who you are, who God is, what you've done, that it's sinful and it's wrong. And then going to God and agreeing with him about it. That's metanoia, the Greek word. And at that point, the ball is in God's court. And not only that, Cliff, uh, repentance is not just uh, something we do on occasion. It's the lifestyle of a Christian. We walk in repentance. We live in repentance. We minister in repentance. My late friend Jack Miller used to say the most repentant person in the entire congregation needs to be the pastor. And he's right. Uh, and, but it's not changing. If you get that mixed up, old Slewfoot will do a number on your mind and, and, and you'll kill yourself. You'll try to jump out that building and fly and you can't do it. Well, this, this message certainly has transformed my understanding of my relationship with God and what he desires of me. And the fact that, you know, I, I've, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a gentleman by the name of Wayne Jacobson. He wrote a, church, a book called uh, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. He also yeah, wrote, wrote a book called He Loves Me. And I've been following his, uh, you know, teachings a, a lot and and understanding and, and really trying to wrap my mind around this idea that God somehow loves me and that he's thrilled with me. And yet, you know, and, and the, this all started when one of my listeners one time says, Cliff, I got to email you and tell you, you're one of the greatest examples of Christians I've ever known. And at that point, I'm like, <laughs> what ever? And it, it all of a sudden, I just felt so much guilt and shame oh, that know. somebody would ever even think that of me. Because yeah. I am so far away from the mark, and and I'm desperately want to be there, but I can't. And that so that message was so transformational to me. And I love what you said in the book. You said our struggle with sin is actually one of the greatest gifts if we under if we know it, if we know that we're struggling, and we know this information, and we we accept that what God is setting is is true, and He is the one who sets the rules. And we acknowledge this. We're truthful. We're honest with him. That 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 is actually our struggle is is what changes us from the inside. And and I I get that now for the first time. And also you said that our self righteousness is actually one of the most dangerous things. That that if all of a sudden we start to we continue to strive to be better, and as soon as we start realizing and we know that we are quote unquote getting better. That's one of the most dangerous places that we can be. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit for folks? Sure. Uh, sin is a gift if you know it. Obedience is dangerous if you know it because it leads to self-righteousness. Sin, if you know it, leads to repentance and God's spirit beginning to do the work of sanctification in our lives. As Wesley said, 
to move on to perfection, knowing that if we don't, we're still loved. You know, Cliff, we, that listener said you're such a great example of a Christian man. I have a friend who said one time, you know, if God really knew me, he wouldn't love me. And I went, what? <laughs> and and he knows everything about us. And uh, as he reveals gently and lovingly and kindly the areas in our lives that are filled with lust and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and uh, all kinds of stuff, as he reveals that, he then loves us, and and let me let me tell you something. I'm an old guy, and I'm a lot better than I was. Uh, a lot of that has to do with age. You know, when you're old, you can't sin as much as you could because you'd rather take a nap. But some of it has to do uh, with what we've been talking about. It's I'm for holiness and sanctification. I wanted to define it biblically, and and. Uh, but but I see in my own life the fruit of being loved when I know I don't deserve it. And back to your original question, uh, sin is covered. And so God reveals it to us not to beat us up over it. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, not to beat us up over it, but simply to say, come here, child, come here. You're forgiven, and I love you, and we get hugged, and we go, whoa, I don't get that. But then when we start measuring ourselves by the scriptures and we see growth in our lives, we get to thinking, you know, I'm Jesus is fortunate to have me, and I'm going to go out and fix others the way I'm fixed. And all of a sudden, nobody will sit next to us in church. And we think it's B.O., but it's not. It's self-righteousness. You know, here's the one thing. You just quoted Romans 8.1, I believe. And I, I'll tell you what. I think there is more grace given to non-believers than I think there are believers in the churches that I've grown up in. And I've been in quite a few. I think there are many people that actually believe that the scripture must say there is therefore now more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus because we must be a great example. Otherwise, the gospel will be tainted. So you must be therefore perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and don't mess this up. (laughs) You know, that's sick. You know that. And you know, the churches, I've taught that. And the churches that I've been a part of, that's not, nobody has a corner on that. It's the sickness of religion. And it's neurotic. It's it's crazy. And it runs so counter to the clear teaching of Scripture. you got to say there's a supernatural element in that. We've been blinded. Um, and and uh, boy, I get you. There is a lot of condemnation in the church. And by the way, have you ever met anybody who found Christ because of another Christian's purity? There, there may be some somewhere, but I've never met one. Uh, mostly they're drawn to Jesus because we become what we are, beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. That's all. And, and when we do that, people are drawn to that. One of the things that draw, drew me to you and, and, and so many other people that I respect so highly is this 
what you said before, the, the fact that you are so ready to confess the fact that you struggle, um, you know, and, and what that says to me is that you're human, that you, I mean, every, even with many of the questions that I've asked you here today, you say, you know, Cliff, I used to deal with, I used to teach that and I was wrong. And, oh, and, yeah. and that, that is what I have noticed. And I just heard an entire sermon on the life of David. And it's the only person in the Bible that God ever describes as a man after God's own heart. And this is a guy who, you know, there are things in the Bible that honestly, really, did God really think about that before he wrote the the whole story? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on, seriously, did we? So I, you look at that, and then, of course, in your book, Three Free Sins, you actually give an entire, from the beginning of the Old Testament through the New Testament, just a list of just the, the dirtiness of the lives of the people who, who, are, who, are, who are our biblical heroes. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know why we don't all see that. <laughs> you know, the Bible is not is not a book of these wonderful spiritual people. It's a book filled with very flawed, very needy, very sinful, very screwed up people that God, for reasons known only to himself, decided to use. And he gave us that for our encouragement. You know, I often said, if you've got biographies in your library of uh, famous Christians who have changed the world and they don't tell you about the dark side, burn those books because they'll condemn you. They won't tell you the truth. They'll make you think that the Christian faith is for super men and super women who are extremely spiritual and pure. You know, you st- one of the things when you're old and you've been where I've been is that you get to know a lot of people. And so I know a lot of people who write the books and the articles and preach the sermons. We have over 4,000 pastors on our mailing list. And so I get a chance to see their hearts. And because they think I'm, as, I'm worse than they are, they tell me things. And you begin to see that God doesn't have anybody but people like us. And he loves us for some strange reason. And he uses us, and the Bible is filled with that. This is not a family that anybody who's into the daughters of the American Revolution want to be a part of, because the only way you can be a part of our family is to be unqualified. And the only way you can stay is to know that you remain unqualified. And once you get that, church becomes a joy and not a burden. You find you laugh more than you cry. You find that Jesus hangs out with us in a way that makes us smell like him, and the world is drawn to that. Steve, was there ever a time when you thought God was an angry father in heaven that was looking down, uh, you know, the whole be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little eyes, hands what you do, (laughs) for your father up above is looking down with condemnation, uh, so be careful, little hands, what you do. I mean, have you ever thought oh, that? Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> we all have. I did, not only did I have those thoughts, I spread them everywhere I went. It's, uh, yeah. You know, we make God into a policeman uh, that if you're not good, he's going to get you kind of stuff. And 
Oh, yeah, I've been there. And, you know, I, Martin Luther said that we have to preach the gospel to each other or we'll get discouraged. The, the, the reason he said that is because it's true. There's something in us that goes right to what you described, that God's angry. Uh, if you don't get it straight, he's going to break your legs because Hebrews 12 teaches that he disciplines those he loves, and you're going to get cancer because you stole a quarter from your mother when you were eight years old. Oh, Cliff, once you get an attack of sanity, you think, good heavens, that's sick. Where in the world, what was I thinking? Where did I get that? And when we do what you and I are doing right here and you do in your book and I do in my books is that we're preaching the gospel to each other. I don't know about you, but when this hour is over, I'm going to feel better. (laughs) I may decide not to be a Buddhist for another week and you and you're going to feel better, too, because what we've done is we've told each other the truth. We've preached the gospel to each other so that we won't get discouraged. There's two things. Number one, it's it's so funny that I, I hear that today and I can fully accept that. And back before, you know, if even a year ago, had I heard you say that statement and in my old mindset and the old ways that I thought about God and the way this works, it's like, no, what you're doing is you're you're just surrounding yourself with people who will say the things that you want to hear. And I think there's a scripture somewhere around the latter part of the New Testament. One of the letters warns about people who just surround themselves with people who just say the things that they want to hear. But uh, yeah. I definitely don't feel that way today. And, and by the way, Cliff, uh, <laughs> some people don't want to hear what you and I are saying either. You ought to see some of the letters I get. I got a call. Our receptionist was crying one time. She said, Steve, will you talk to this man? I can't anymore. And Kathy, she's my assistant, who's mean. She said she's on another line, so I pick up the phone, and this guy said, Dr. Brown, millions of people are in hell because of you. And I said, you're kidding. (laughs) I said, that's cool. I didn't know I had that kind of power, and he hung up on me. But, you know, if you're going to preach this with all of its purity and teach it with all the love and grace that God has given us, uh, most religious people are not going to be happy with you. And so uh, the tickling ear syndrome that we say things that people want to hear, they don't want to hear this. They want to hear. I one time was uh, I'd been teaching at a conference in North Carolina about grace and that God isn't mad at you. And I had a question and an answer session right afterwards. This guy on the front row, man, immediately raised his hand. He said, Steve, I think you're wrong. God is angry at me, and I'm glad he is. And I said to him, sir, in a kindly pastoral way, you're a fruitcake. There's something wrong with you. And he said, the only way I keep straight is the knowledge that God is angry. And I said, that ain't going to work forever. And when you hit a wall and you can no longer do it anymore, when guilt and God's wrath ceases to be enough gasoline to make your car go, you call me because I've got some good news for you. Mm. I love that. You know, one of the reasons why I, I recognize that it took me so long to, to quote unquote get this is because 
God's often referred to himself in the word as our heavenly father. And being someone whose biological dad is an alcoholic and drug addict and stuff like that, I did not have a great relationship with him. Uh, by the grace of God and, and his mercy, he allowed my mom to remarry to a man who is my stepdad, who I love very much. And as an adult today, I have an amazing relationship with him. But growing up, mm. my my dad was a very performance-driven person. If I did the things that I asked him to do, um, I was rewarded well. And, and if I failed to live up to certain standards, then I was punished. And of course, then there's that scripture you mentioned earlier that our Heavenly Father disciplines those He loves. And so, um, yeah, I, I had a really difficult time for a long time, uh, you know, just over the last five and a half years, understanding God as this loving Father. Yeah. And when you see that, you know, my daddy was, uh, my daddy also was an alcoholic, but he was different than yours. My dad even when he was plastered, loved me so totally and so completely, and my brother, that we were the apple of his eye. And uh, I, I remember we used to, uh, I was a paper boy, uh, getting up really early in the morning delivering papers for when I grew up. And uh, we, this is a confession, but the statute of limitations has run out, so I'm safe. But we used to ch- steal cherry pies uh, in those days because people trusted people more than they do today. They would stack up these pies outside the supermarket early in the morning, and then when they opened the market, they'd go out and get them and put them on the shelf. Well, we found that out, so we stole a couple of pies most mornings. And Cliff, to be honest with you, stolen cherry pies a lot better than the ones you buy. <laughs> but we'd be sitting around folding papers, eating our stolen cherry pie. And and there would be guys that would say, you know, if my dad finds out about this, he'll kill me. Uh, I'm history. And I, I even in those days thought, you know, if my dad found out, he would love me. And that's worse. And, and so I quit stealing cherry pies. Uh because I couldn't deal with my father's love. So I had a father who didn't become a Christian until close to his death, but whose love was so total and so absolute that it became the factor of the teaching that I have. Because I read where Jesus said, if you then being really evil, sinful, needy, screwed up, know how to give good gifts to your father, to your children, how much more your father in heaven? And when I read that, I thought, that is so cool. If God loves me one-tenth as much as my earthly father loved me, I got it made in the shade. <laughs> Nothing is ever going to get to me if that's true. So you and I share a commonality in having biological fathers who left a lot to be desired. Mine, on the other hand, was unconditional. He spanked me twice, Cliff, and you know, and and I can, I, you know, my posterior hurts when I think about it. I mean, this was my daddy was big, and he spanked me twice, and both times, and I'm not making this up. He wept, he he cried when he did, and I thought, whoa, 
That'll make you better. That's how I became a spiritual giant. How about you? <laughs> well, le, le, I, I, I guess I'm working on that spiritual giant. So, because so, you're young. Well, exactly. One of the things that this is doing, um, and, and, and I have, it's been since September. I, I really believe that there was this turning point in my life in September of last year. I am at that place where I totally believe the next statement that I'm going to read from your book. I totally believe it. But mm-hmm. I'm just praying that God will transfer that love and that unconditionalness to the way that I parent my kids because I find that as a father, I am so much repeating what I grew up with. And I am I am I yeah. have this fear that I'm reinforcing in their minds that you it, it's performance. I, I'm happy with my kids and delight in them when they obey me. You know, and 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 I find there it's like I love you, Dad. Yeah, if you love me, you'd obey me. That and I find myself thinking those words. I'm like, gosh, I got it. God help me, help oh, me. Cliff, you you're fine. You because you're aware of it, you can't help but communicate that. I mean, you're gonna still do the get in line, or I'm gonna ki- I'm gonna break your face kind of stuff. Every father does that, but you get it. And that's going to be communicated to your kids. I mean, it really is. You're going to find, you're going to find that they're going to get it just the way you got it. And you're going to break a generational thing that's been happening in your life for generations back. And you're going to break. I've got a friend who teaches at a university here, full sale. And he says, let me tell you what he does with his kids. He gives them one freebie a day and they get to choose it. <laughs> they'll do something really bad and uh, you'll be getting ready to break their face and they'll say that's my freebie and he backs way off and laughs and doing that a freebie a day has absolutely revolutionized his whole family and you're gonna do that you're gonna you know i i can't tell you my daughter uh, our daughter robin works with me here and she just wrote an introduction uh to uh a book on what fathers should say to their daughters. A friend of mine wrote the book and wanted her to write the introduction. And she said, when it gets cold in a hot place, and then he kept insisting. And, and she said, you know, my relationship, my father isn't that good. Uh, we, it's worked out now, but my father was gone all the time said, I forgot what he looked like. And she wrote the introduction from that perspective. And, but let me tell you something. She probably gets grace more profoundly than anybody I've ever known because she knew that her father was human and asked her forgiveness a pile of times and did it wrong and did it right, but in the end gave her freebies. And you're going to do the same thing with your kids. Trust the old guy. Well, I tell you, I, that's that's very encouraging because you know, and and here's the thing, I, I I have learned that I am human, that I am a frog, and I'm not going to fly, um, and and that it's not about getting better. Uh, and I, again, I'm going to read this quote in just a minute, but uh, I've learned that, and and I've accepted that, and I feel so free to live the life for which I was created because I'm not focused on what not to do or the things that I'm not doing that I should be doing. What it's done is it's allowed me to look at my wife and say, you know what? She's not perfect either. And I've yeah. been forgiven so much. And 
And, and, and it allows me to look at my three children and say, you know what? They're going to make some really stupid mistakes. And if they don't make half the ones that I made, <laughs> they'll be okay too. Yeah, right. And that is such a gift to your kids. And you're going to give it because you know, because you know it's so true for yourself. Well, here's the quote it, you wrote in the book, and I love this. This is, a, this is a message that God has been hammering from, I, I can't even tell you the number of sources, because I've lost count, but uh, he, the book, So you, you Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore, He Loves Me, Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers, Three Free Sins, The Scandalous Freedom Podcast, and uh, countless other places, but this one phrase that you gave in your book sums up what God has been laying on my heart and a message that I hope that I'll be able to carry on until I die. And it is this, you do not have to get better to get God to love you. You do not have to get better to maintain God's love. You do not have to get better to witness. You do not have to get better to be forgiven. And you don't have to get better to make a difference and you don't have to get better to be sanctified or holy. Well, I <laughs> I don't remember writing that, but I think that's good stuff. In fact, I might just quit my day job and go write books. That's so good. <laughs> uh, you, and it's true. Oh, Cliff, it's true. It really is. And once you get it, you start getting better. Maybe. And if you don't, God will love you anyway. This is the thing. It, it, I'm, I realize it. I, I feel it. I'm free. And, and, and sometimes it just seems so good, too good to be true. And I'm wondering, why hasn't the church that I, I mean, and, 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 and I'm talking eight, nine, ten different churches that I've been a part of throughout my life. And I, I really, I, honestly, if, if it was really preached this way, I, I just never heard it. It was, if I accept Jesus today, this is all true. But then, once you have the membership card and you're in the club, now there's guidelines. There's <laughs> strings. There's stipulations. There are clauses. Matter of fact, in my Nazarene manual, and, and not to really beat up on the Nazarenes, but in, I, I come from a Nazarene background. I have this thing called the Nazarene manual, and it's guidelines on holy living. It tells me that I can't do the tobacco thing. I can't do the swimming thing. I can't dance in public. I can't do. These are <laughs> things that Christians don't do. And I'm like, so, I mean, this is. It's so radically different than than I've heard. The, I know what the gospel is. I know what the good news. But the good news is that Jesus came to save you so that you can live a better life. That's what I always that's what I've been taught. And that's what I had taught so many people. <laughs> and even in this podcast, this is the like the 131st episode of this show. And the first 120 of it, if you can pardon my language, it's crap. <laughs> Listen, I could say that about a lot of my ministry. I want you to know. Hey, Cliff, you know, you're young. Take it from an old guy. When I first got this, it really ticked me off. I was angry. A psychiatrist said I lived on the edge of hostility, and I was going to fix those turkeys. And uh, now that I'm older, uh, I recognize how much I'm like them. And how blinded I've been. And so, um, and so you and I have a commission, and it's from God. And we got to do it gently or they won't listen. 
We got to do it clearly or they won't get it. And we got to do it in your face because if we don't, they'll walk away. But we got to tell everybody we see on our broadcast and our books, when we're in personal relationships with people, we've got a message. And if we compromise that message, we compromise the very essence of what the Christian faith is all about. I grew up a Methodist. We had the book of church discipline. And you think Westminster doesn't have some condemning parts in it. Man, it's religious. It's not just you Nazarenes. We're all this way. There is a sickness, and it's from the pit of hell, and it smells like smoke in the church that has blinded us. And, and, and when Paul says in Galatians, and I love that book, when Paul says, what has possessed you? What is wrong with you? Uh, and then he goes on to this exposition of what the gospel really is. Uh, he was surprised at his church, and that's 2,000 years ago. We'll be surprised at our church, and that's today until Jesus comes back. It's the main battle of people like you and me that God has called us to be faithful to the truth, and we can't compromise it. We can't change it. And not only that, we can lose our jobs for demonstrating it. Luther one time told a pastor who was depressed, said, find out what irritates them about sin. Go out and commit them. <laughs> and I went, well, I don't believe I'd have said that. But he was talking about the cultural stuff that so fills our church, laws on laws on laws. And God goes, what do you think? that the death of Christ was without effect? What do you think I was doing in the stories I told you in my book? What do you think I was trying to teach you? Wake up. And you and I, Cliff, will we'll be in trouble all the time, but don't you compromise this, and I won't either. Absolutely. And the other, my other favorite um, quote from your book, and when I read it, I can tell you right now, the Holy Spirit, it, it was, he spoke it directly to my heart. And, and it, it's, it's almost as though I needed permission to, to let this one go. And it, you wrote in your book, you said, having free sins doesn't only mean that you can throw away the mask. It means that you don't have anybody to please except Jesus. And he's already pleased. Yeah. And that, that when I read that line, I want to tell you, God, God started a journey inside my heart. He's, he's, well, it started five years ago when I read the book George Barna wrote, wrote called Revolution, and I didn't, yeah. I, I wasn't ready for it, and I discounted it and, and stuff like that, and, and I said, no, I, I still don't, nope, I think there are still th things that George Barna is missing here. Here's the deal. I, finally, I'm at this place where I do get it. I do get this love. I do get that there's no the only thing that's required, like you said, is that I understand that I'm unqualified and that I acknowledge that and I accept that. And that, that leads me to one question, and, and I don't know how quickly this one would be answered, but I'm not very familiar with Reformed theology. Not at all. Uh, I listen to you a lot, so I probably have heard a ton of it. <laughs> but but uh, in, in my evangelical background that, that was so focused on getting people saved so that they don't go to hell the Romans road or the, the spiritual laws. And I'm sure you're familiar yeah, with all of that. Stuff. Sure. 
you, you often have said, you know, hey, this is great news as long as you belong to him. But if you don't, this doesn't apply to you. This, this isn't good news for you unless you belong to him. And I, I, maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe I don't understand anything about what Calvinism is or any of this other stuff. <laughs> but uh, the, the one thing I don't understand is that I've heard people argue between, you know, does God predetermine who is saved and who isn't saved? And if that's the case, then what, who, who has a chance, you know, if, they, if, if God didn't choose them? Any thoughts on that? Sure. You know, I teach at Reformed Seminary, and the only reason I'm on this broadcast, Cliff, is certainly not to say you have to be Reformed to be saved, but if I were you, I wouldn't take a chance. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, there, uh, There's a great book by J.I. Packer, uh, Evangelism uh, and the Sovereignty of God, and it's a very good book, and he talks about an antimony. Uh, those are two truths that if you think, uh, if you're a Aristotelian, and most of us are, we follow Aristotle and the principle of non-contradiction, they're two truths that you know both are true, and you don't know how to put them together. Uh, one truth is that you are responsible and free, and your decisions count. Uh, and God uses your freedom as a monument to his glory. So the scriptures plead with free people, assuming their freedom. Why will you not turn? And then you go, and in scripture, there's a total other truth. And the truth is God wrote the story. God's in charge of everything, every molecule, Romans 11, and that doxological statement. That, uh, uh, that all things, no exception whatsoever, are from God. And the Bible teaches uh, God's sovereignty in our salvation and in everything else. And because we're Greeks, and that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians, we say, wait, 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 those both can't be true. Now, if we thought Hebraically, if we were Jewish rabbis instead of Christian ministers, Cliff, if we were a rabbi, we would show the rabbi one of those truths and say, you believe that? And he would say, of course, it's God. Show him the other truth, and he would say, of course. And you would say, you can't believe both of those things. And the rabbi would go, obey, yes, I can. It's God. Uh, and so somebody has said that the essence of Christian maturity is to have a high tolerance for ambiguity. And, uh, and it, that shouldn't be a surprise to us when we're talking about God. We're like fish in the middle of the ocean trying to, now, trying to understand the water. Cliff, you don't want a God who's surprised, and I don't either. But I don't want a God who's a puppet master, and you don't either. And you guys who are Nazarenes and Arminian, you emphasize the freedom side. Those of us who are Reformed emphasize the the sovereignty side but both of those truths are important and we must not compromise either one of them and and that is a long answer uh to say a very simple thing i have no idea you you cliff you can if you can explain something you can control it it shouldn't be a surprise to us that we can't explain god we can't we have no idea. 
Calvin said that the Bible was God's baby talk, and it is that because that's the only way God can talk to us. We are finite, and he's infinite. Uh, We tarry but just a little while. He's eternal. We're nothing, and he's everything. And when he communicates to us, he's got to get the fodder down really low or we're not going to get it. So I believe that you are elect from the foundation of the earth. I also believe that God gave you an opportunity to choose, and it was a real choice. And when you chose to follow Jesus, you became his, and you could have chosen not to. I have no idea how you put those things together. I really don't. And that's why, because we don't know. And we started this broadcast talking about this. That's why uh, we can, if, if thy heart be as my heart, Wesley said, give me thy hand. That's why we can walk together, Cliff. Well, I'll tell you what. One of, one of the things that I've certainly felt uh, compelled to do is I've determined that I am no longer a Wesleyan, an Arminian, a Nazarene, a Reformed, or anything. I, I have determined that I am a child of a Heavenly Father that loves me unconditionally, that Jesus Christ came to save me. I believe that he gave us his word to guide us and to teach us but that it all comes down in the end that we are to live loved by him. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm done with the boxes, but I'm not done learning. And I just thank you for this opportunity to speak with you, to have you on the show. And uh, just a special thank you to our mutual and wonderful friend, Phil Marchand for, for making this happen. (laughs) What a, what a blessing it is to be connected through him to you and and I just want to say thank you Steve I really appreciate this and Cliff it's been an honor you smell like Jesus and I've loved this time oh boy my friends that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Encouraging Others Through Christ podcast wow would you do me a favor would you be willing to tell a friend about what you just heard here I I believe you know what after 3,000 podcast episodes there's no question this is my favorite i'm going to be pointing lots of people back to here i hope that i'll never lose sight of what is contained in this episode and what's contained in my heart what god has finally broken through i would love to hear from you guys leave us leave me a comment here in the show notes over at gspn.tv slash three free sins that's what it'll be three free sins that's all spelled out by the way gspn.tv slash three free sins <laughs>